We have, yeah. You know those cars that uh, bust the budget? Those cars that just always seem to have problems? Uh, well, Kelly and I have one right now. And uh, over the course of the last few months, uh, we have uh, dropped in a new alternator, new tires, new suspension system. And on Friday, we went in and uh, we found out that we needed new brakes and rotors. So uh, we put in new brakes and rotors. And on Saturday morning, when I went out to get the car, there was a big puddle of oil underneath the engine block. And uh, so I got in the car and I kind of drove through the neighborhood. And as I was driving through the neighborhood, I heard the sound. It was kind of like a you know, this hissing sound. I said, what in the world? So I take the car uh, to our mechanic, and he looks at it, and he says, Brandon, you need a new AC compressor. And I said, oh, man. So, okay, fine, we need a new AC compressor. So we get a new AC compressor on Saturday. And uh, later on during the day, the car was ready to be picked up, so I swung by the mechanic, picked up the car, and, and I drove it to church. And as I was driving it to church, as I was on the freeway, I heard the sound, still coming from the engine, still coming from the supposed compressor that just got fixed. And in that moment, I just had such a sense of discouragement. Have you ever been there before where you just kind of, you're tempted to, to, to get frustrated and to despair and kind of spin, you know, into your own world? And at that moment, I went to turn on the stereo. When I turned on the radio, I kid you not, as loud as my radio player could play, a Let It Go from the Frozen soundtrack was blaring through the speakers. And, you know, sometimes God speaks in mysterious ways. And uh, yesterday, he spoke to me through uh, a kid's Disney movie. Um, but, uh, you know, really, that invitation to let it go is, is kind of what we're going to be talking about today. And so, uh, amen. This, this morning, uh, before we kind of dive into the sermon, I just want to invite you to think about uh, the discouragements you've experienced over the past week. Think of the times that you have been tempted to despair, uh, your failures, the things you've been frustrated about, and just let those things go in this moment. Give those things to God. Surrender them to Him. Because in a little bit, we're going to have a chance to kind of climb out of our lives and to look at the big plan of God and to unleash hope into our lives. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have come to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. We thank you that you have come to give us hope, to unleash hope in our lives. And this morning, uh, many of us, especially me, need hope, Father. We need something to hope in. We need something sure. We need something firm. We need something solid. And so this morning, as we open up your word, I pray that you would give that to us. And I pray that as we surrender and as we let go of our discouragements and our failures, and our doubts, that you would receive them, Father, that you would transform them into something beautiful. And now bless the preaching of your word. It's in your name and for your glory that we pray. Amen. All right, well, we are in week two of our sermon series called Unleashing Hope, and at this time, I'd invite everyone to go ahead and take out the sermon guides that you received uh, on your way in. The title of this uh, series, of course, is Unleashing Hope. And uh, when we talk about hope, we're talking about something very specific. Hope refers to a firm conviction about the future that impacts the way we live in the present. When the Bible talks about hope, it talks about a firm conviction in the future that impacts the way we live in the present. And when you and I are filled with that kind of a hope, according to many studies, we tend to be more successful, we tend to be less stressed, we're more compassionate, we're more loving. 
There's a lot of great benefits of hope, which is one of the reasons that we're looking at it. And so over the course of these weeks, what we're actually doing is we're looking at seven factors, seven foundations that fuel hope, that give rise to hope. And what we're saying is that if you are high in these areas, if you are high in these areas, you will have high levels of hope. But if you are low in these areas, you will have low levels of hope. So last week, Pastor Dwayne started with uh, the first factor that fuels hope. Does anybody remember what that was? Anybody? (laughs) Recharge your batteries. That's right. All right. Uh, We have coffee in the back if anyone needs it. Uh, Last week we talked about recharging your batteries, and Pastor Dwayne mentioned that we need to avoid passion killers, we need to avoid the things that drain us, and instead we need to focus our attention on our supply lines, right, on our spiritual supply lines, on those things that are life-giving to us, on cultivating a prayer life, on developing a devotional life with God, and cultivating spiritual friendships. These kinds of things center us, and they help us to kind of move out into the world and to move out into our day filled with hope. So that's the first one. And the second way that we cultivate hope, the second factor that fuels hope that we're going to talk about today has to do with raising or rising our expectations. But before we talk about raising our expectations, I want to read you a few quotes that I saw this past week. Maybe you've seen these before. The first one is from 1920. It was in the New York Times. A rocket will never be able to leave Earth's atmosphere, they predicted. Uh, About two decades later, Thomas Watson, the chairman of IBM, said, I think there is a world market for about five computers. Jim Sellen is glad that he was wrong. Uh, And then later on in 1962, Dick Rowe, a Decca Records executive, after auditioning the Beatles, uh, maybe giving one of the most infamous predictions of all time, said the Beatles have no future in show business. This is what he said to the Beatles manager. And after passing them up, he went on record and said groups with guitars and four-piece bands were on their way out. Uh, You see, all these people, all these people that made these statements have one thing in common, and that is this. Their their expectations were too low and their vision was too short-sighted. And because of that, they missed something big. I don't know how many of you had a best friend growing up. Uh, I had a best friend, and his name was Nick Rafalo. And uh, Nick lived around the corner from me. He was one of the only kids in my neighborhood, and we just did everything together. And uh, we were joined at the hip, uh, and, 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 you know, I just love him dearly. And on October 12th uh, of last year, Nick died. And uh, ever since then, I've been, you know, kind of reflecting on Nick's life and, and thinking about kind of what kind of person he was and celebrating uh, the times that we've had together. And one of the things that keeps cropping up is that Nick was a talented person. Uh, he was a musician. I think we have a picture here of Nick with his guitar. Everywhere he went, Nick had his guitar with him. And he would write songs, and they were authentic, and they were, they were beautiful, and they were wonderful. Nick was also an artist. Uh, he was a tattoo artist, uh, but he was, uh, he was also, uh, he, he could also paint and draw and write poetry. And he was, he was fun to talk to. He was funny, and he could, he could also have deep conversations. He was kind of one of those rare breeds. Um, But the thing about Nick, the sad thing about Nick, is that throughout his life he was plagued with low expectations, especially for himself. And so he was always spinning into despair and discouragement and doubt, and he could never lift himself up out of these toxic emotions. And I think many of us have Nicks in our life, right? We have people in our life who we know are capable of so much, but they get stuck in in discouragement. They get stuck in having low expectations, and it keeps them from moving forward in life. 
But it's not just our friends, it's also us as well. You and I have low expectations in some areas of our life. It could be parenting, it could be your marriage, it could be uh, your exercise routine or your ministries or pursuing your dreams or your passions in life. There's some things where you aim too low. And this morning we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about first a few different reasons that we have low expectations. One reason is because sometimes we kind of buy into this lie, this toxic and dangerous lie that things will never change, right? When, when we get so kind of stuck in, in our present circumstances that we are unable to look into the future, we believe that things will never change. And this kind of thought process is what ruins many marriages. It's what ruins many friendships, many individual lives, and many careers. But not only that, a things will never change attitude also handcuffs the work of God in our life. I don't know if you remember uh, in the Gospels in Mark 12 when Jesus uh, was in his hometown of Nazareth, the text says that he couldn't do miracles there because of the crowd's unbelief, right? Because of their unbelief, Jesus wasn't even able to do miracles. And sometimes when we lock God out of our lives and when we keep our expectations in low, very low, he, he doesn't have enough space to do miracles because we don't expect him to show up. But there's another reason we have low expectations, and this has to do with being afraid of failure. It has to do with being afraid of failure. Uh, about 10 years ago, when I was living in California, uh, one of my friends uh, gave me this odd piece of wisdom. He said, uh, Brandon, if you keep your aim too low in life, you'll never be too disappointed. Have you ever heard that before? If you keep your aim low in life, you'll never be too disappointed, right? Because if you expect everything to go awfully and then things go good, you're okay, great. You know, I mean, you're surprised. But if you, but, but you know, on the other hand, if you expect a lot and things go bad, then you're disappointed. Um, and, and so he was kind of, you know, shooting for failure and, you know, seeing what happens. And uh, I just want to say that that is a horrible way to live. Uh, that is a fear-driven mindset. That is the kind of life that is so terrified of failure that it avoids it at all costs. And we live in a world where, unfortunately, that is very common. I mean, if you think about it, we have exchanged the adventure and the risk-taking of our founders, of the people who created this nation and came in ships from overseas and, you know, started this experiment called democracy. We have traded that for the safety and isolation and security of the modern world. We are scared of failure. We are terrified of risks. This is one of the reasons why we have helicopter parents who hover over their kids' every move. It's one of the reasons we have insurance policies on everything we own. It's why we put steel gates around our neighborhoods and have 20 airbags in our cars and keep our kids in booster seats till they're like 17, right? <laughs> the reason for that is because safety, not adventure, is our culture's highest priority. And if we get caught in that, if we live in this fear-based living, it's going to keep our expectations low and it's going to keep our hope levels low as well. The final reason we keep our expectations low is because when it comes to decisions, I don't know if you've ever done this, I have, we choose the easier instead of the better, right? We, we subconsciously think to ourselves, what's the easier option in this scenario? What's the least amount of housework I could do to please my wife? What is the easiest way to keep the kiddos entertained for the next two hours? You know, can we do a, a Harry Potter uh, movie marathon and, you know, go do what we want to do? You know, we, we choose the easier instead of the better, and we all do this, and when we do this, our expectations fall through the floor. 
So what I want to do this morning is I want to invite you and I want to help kind of chart a course for us to steer our way through fear and steer our way through uh, easy options. And instead, I want to offer you three hope-fueled attitudes that will help rise your expectations. I want to offer you three hope-fueled attitudes that if you put in place in your life, your hope level will be ratcheted up. And the first one is this. We need to begin by redefining what is possible. We need to begin by redefining what is possible, what is doable. Oftentimes, when we think about what is possible in our own lives, in our own ministries, we kind of think down here in human terms, right? We're kind of like Moses. We're very pragmatic, and we argue with God. But if we're going to raise our hope levels, we need to start redefining what is possible. In the Bible, it tells us that nothing is impossible with God. In the Gospels, in Mark 9, 23, Jesus says this, Everything is possible for him or her who believes. And in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to my Father. And so in these texts, what Jesus does is he dares us. He asks us to, to raise our expectations, to dream higher than we ever have. And the reason for this is very simple. Paul gives it to us in Ephesians three twenty, where he writes this, God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine because of his power working through us. Have you ever thought about that? Have you considered that recently? You can do immeasurably more than your wildest dreams. And the reason for that is because of the power that lives and abides and dwells inside of you. The reason for that is because the Holy Spirit is intermingled with your spirit. The reason for that is because we serve a God and we serve a Jesus who is capable of miracles today in your life. And so the invitation for us is to not just live down here, not just have human expectations, but to rise them up and to have God-sized expectations, to have a God-sized vision for our life. And one of the reasons this is so important is because oftentimes in life, we don't get what we deserve, we get what we expect. We don't get what we deserve, but we get what we expect. One of the places that we find this is in Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn there. Uh, The text will also be on the screen above if you want to follow along there. Uh, In Mark chapter 2, there's this fascinating story. And in this story, uh, there's four friends. And these four friends uh, have a buddy, and their buddy's very sick. He's paralyzed, and he can't move. He can't walk. And uh, these four friends who live in the city of Capernaum hear that this traveling teacher, this traveling miracle worker, is coming to town. And uh, they think to themselves, if we could somehow get our buddy to Jesus he could probably make them better. And so they pick up a corner of their mat and these four friends, you know, drag their paralyzed friends to Jesus, to the house where he was teaching, and they knock on the door and when it opens, the the room and the house is jam-packed. I mean, it's, it's shoulder to shoulder. There's no way that they could get in. There's no way that their friend could get to Jesus. And so they've reached an obstacle. And when they reach this obstacle, they have a couple different options. On the one hand, what they could do is pack it up and call it a day right? They could think to themselves like we often do, well, God opens doors and closes doors and this door's closed, so let's go home. But they don't do that. You see, because of their hope, because of their high expectations, what they do is they reframe the situation and they look at it from another angle. Look with me at Mark 2.4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat the man was laying on. And so get this, what his friends do is actually cut a hole in the roof, 
You know, the owner probably was mad, but uh, their friend was glad because they lowered uh, their friend through the roof and dropped him right in front of Jesus. And the text goes on to tell us what happens. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the four, man, the four men, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And then later on in the text, he addresses the paralyzed man again. And Jesus says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So, so get this, the faith and the expectations of these four friends was one of the reasons that this man was healed. Yes, God did the miracle. Yes, Jesus accomplished the miracle. But without the expectations of those four friends, that paralyzed man would have never been healed on that day. And similarly, there are opportunities for miracles. There are opportunities for God to move in big ways in your life if you have the faith, if you have the expectations, if we believe and we live as if God can do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. And one of the places that has been so true is right here at this church. Uh, I don't know if many of you know it, but uh, when we were founded, uh, this church was called the East Valley Community Covenant Church. There's a few of you in the pew who are uh, part, of, part of the kind of early tribe, uh, but we were only about, you know, 30, 40 people deep. We met in different schools across the East Valley from 1986 to 1996. And in 1994, something very critical happened. In 1994, we had no pastor, the church was struggling with attendance, and it had a decision to make. On the one hand, it could close up shop. On the one hand, it could say it had a good ride and, and, and kind of close the doors and move on. Or the church could have decided to move all in. The church could have decided to move all in and to trust God and to expect that God would show up and to expect that God would bring a pastor and to expect that God would use this church to reach hundreds and thousands of men, women, boys, and girls for Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what they did. They hired a full-time pastor and they renamed the church Hope Covenant Church because they hoped, because they expected that God would do something incredible through their efforts. Because they expected that when they brought their loaves and their fishes to God, that he would multiply their efforts. And he has, and all of us are the fruit of those expectations. All of us are the fruit of that labor, and that is exactly what hope is all about. It's about expecting God to show up in our church. Hope is about expecting God to show up in our marriages and in our finances and in our problems and in our careers. That's exactly what the hope that we're talking about is all about. It's about expecting more in all of the area, these areas, and the reason for that is oftentimes we don't get what we deserve, but we get what we expect. And when we expect much from God, he honors that and gives us much. So the first way that we ratchet up our expectations is to redefine what is possible. The second way to lift and propel our expectations has to do uh, with our perspective. Uh, in the book, The Hope Quotient by Ray Johnson, you'll be receiving that in about a week, uh, there's this great letter uh, that he, he tells. Uh, and in that letter, a college student wrote her parents this very tough letter her sophomore year of high school. And I'm going to read this letter to you in just a moment. Uh, I think it's on the screen above as well. But as I read it to you, I want you to put yourself in the skin of her parents. So pretend that you are receiving this letter from your daughter. Dear mom and dad, I know this is going to be really disappointing to you, but I met a guy. He's about 15 years older than I am. We're in love. We just eloped. I'm two months pregnant. 
I'm dropping out of school and I will contact you at some point in the future. I'm really sorry. Love your daughter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're just, your world just crashed and burned right there, right? Your daughter has just sent you this letter. And at the bottom of the letter, she says, P.S., please turn over. And on the other side, she wrote this. Just kidding. But I did flunk math class and I need $200. Please keep this in perspective. <laughs> do you like her sense of humor? Kids, do not do that to your parents, please. Um, our perspective in life matters. How we view the future really does matter. There was this town uh, in Maine, a small town in Maine, uh, several decades ago, 60 years ago to be exact, that disappeared under waves when a utility company decided to uh, dam Dead River. And this town called Flagstaff, uh, in 1949, uh, the flooding started. But it actually took a full three years to fully submerge uh, the streets and the homes and, and the entire city. Uh, but when the utility company decided to flood this town, what they did is they sent a representative uh, to each house. And they, they went to each house and they went to each person and they said to them, uh, I'm really sorry, uh, but we're going to be flooding your whole town and washing you know, your house uh, you know, down the street. But here's the deal. We are going to pay you the fair market price for your house and we're going to let you live here for free uh, you know, until there's a river in front of your house. And uh, because, the, because the flooding took too long, people were able to live there for a few years. And uh, one year after the utility company bought the property, there was this man, and this man spent summers in Maine, summers in Flagstaff. And so he decided to go visit there and to kind of see what was happening. And when he visited there, he noticed that many of the residents hadn't yet moved. But he saw a cha huge change in this city, the city with an expiration date. Here's what he wrote. What was once an attractive and beautiful little hamlet had turned into a dilapidated ghost town. Why mow the lawn if it's going to be underwater? Why repair a fence if it's no longer going to be used? Why keep good relationships with the neighbors when they're just going to move away? And then he said something really profound. He said, where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. There's a reason we don't wash rental cars before we return them right? There's a reason why we don't rearrange hotel furniture, uh, the, the, the furniture in the hotel rooms before we check out. There's a reason why we don't invest in stocks that are going to tank. And the reason for that is because where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. But the good news for us today is there is faith in our futures. There is faith in our futures. We do have reasons to expect that better things are ahead. The second hope-fueled attitude is this. We need to believe that better days are ahead. This isn't positive thinking. This isn't self-help. This is trusting in the promises of God. And sometimes I know uh, that many of you struggle with this. Sometimes things aren't going too well in your life and you seem like maybe you know, better days are behind you, not in front of you. And it's, it's hard to kind of wrestle with this. It's hard to get a clear picture of this. And if, it, if you're there, my encouragement to you is, is to do everything within your power to lift yourself out of your circumstances and take a fresh look at the plan of God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came out of the tomb and it changed everything. It sent a shockwave of hope over our planet. 50 days after that, the Holy Spirit descended on the church and changed everything. And someday Christ will come again. Titus 2 talks about this in verse 12 and 13. It says, We live upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. The blessed hope. 
the appearing of the glory of God, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the blessed hope, that's what we're looking forward to. Friends, someday Jesus Christ will come again and he will come on this world and he will judge the living and the dead. Someday Christ will come again and he will right all wrongs and he will give you and me resurrected bodies and he will create a new creation where all of us will live and will dwell together where there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more heartache and no more tears and no more death. That's our hope. That's our future. Better days are ahead. God will finish what he started. God comes through on his promises. He always has and he always will. So my encouragement to us is to believe that better days are ahead and to allow that to inspire hope in the present. How many of you, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever been in a long-distance dating relationship? A few? Yeah? Okay. Uh, I have as well. Uh, Some of you might know Kelly and I dated uh, for just over two years uh, from Northern California to Chicago. It was a really long distance, and it was really difficult, and I don't recommend it to anyone. Uh, but I'll tell you what kept me going. It was, it was the promise that better days were ahead. It was the promise that someday we would be married, that someday I could wake, every, wake up every morning with my head on the pillow next to her, that we could build a life together, that we could build a family together, that we could have children and make memories and go on vacations. It was those things that provided me and inspired hope in the present, that helped me be faithful. Similarly, I think when Christ talks about his second coming and about our destination with him in eternity, the Bible's trying to do something very similar. God wants to inspire hope in the present because of what's coming down the line, because of Christ's second coming. So the second way that we raise our expectations has to do with believing that better days are ahead, with trusting in the promises of God and not our present circumstances. Now, the last way that we could ratchet up our expectations is really the most important one. So if you only remember one this week, I'd encourage you to remember this one. Uh, And it's this, make God your ultimate hope. Make God your ultimate hope in life. Uh, To illustrate this, I have have a a little project that I want you to help me out with. Uh, So here uh, I have... A one-gallon mason jar I bought at Hobby Lobby. Uh, It took me about an hour to find. I I have no idea how people shop there. Uh, But I ventured in there and I got that. And then these right here uh, are river rocks from behind the church. And so uh, some of you might have seen this before, uh, but just bear with me if you have. I'm going to fill this uh, with these rocks. I want you to tell me uh, when this jar is full, okay? All right. It broke the glass. We're going for it. Okay, is the jar full? Okay, well, I'm going to have to readjust my illustration. Um, do not break the jar of your life. <laughs> Sometimes... God wants us to be gentle with one another. (laughs) And so I want to encourage you this week to make God your ultimate hope. And as you do, do so very, very carefully. (laughs) The Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians 1.21. If you have your Bibles, uh, I would invite you to turn there. In Philippians 1.21, he writes this, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
You see, for Paul to live, the essence of living was knowing Christ, right? It was, it was being satisfied in Christ. It was treasuring Christ. It was savoring Christ. It was having an intimate relationship with Christ and making Christ his ultimate hope. And death was gained. The reason death was gained is because it meant more of Christ. It's because it meant more intimacy with Christ. That's what it means to make Christ our ultimate hope. He talks more about this in Philippians 3.8. If you have your Bibles, turn there. In Philippians 3.8, after talking about all of his accolades, after laying out his portfolio and his resume and uh, you know, his, his family history and kind of all of these things that made him important, he pins this verse. I consider everything a loss when compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I consider everything, everything that I hope for, all of my other hopes and dreams and ambitions, those things are important, but compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, I consider them a loss. I consider them as garbage. It's not wrong to have other hopes in life. We should have other hopes in life. We should hope, you know, that our kids go to college, that there's enough money in our 401k to, you know, last us, uh, you know, until we peter out. You know, I mean, there's, there's certain things in life that God wants us to hope for, what we should hope for. But the point that I'm trying to make is that Christ has to be our ultimate hope. Christ has to be at the bottom of the jar, hopefully not breaking the jar. And the other things in life, the other hopes that we have, need to be subordinate under that. And when Christ is our ultimate hope, we are truly human. We were built to have a relationship with God. We were designed to make God our ultimate hope. And when we do, we are more alive, we are more grounded. And patience is possible. Perseverance and suffering is possible. We have the ability to anticipate the future with joy and to take risks in life to follow our dreams because we know that a safety net is underneath us to catch us. How do we raise our expectations? First, we need to redefine what is possible. We need to go with God's definition of possible, not ours. Second, we need to believe that better days are ahead. We need to trust in the promises of God and not our present circumstances. Third, we need to make God our ultimate hope and do everything within our power, like Paul, to place God at the center of our lives, to put him at the bottom of our jar. All of these ways help us lift our expectations. They help us align with God's high expectations for our life and for our church. So God is asking us, he is daring us to raise our expectations this morning. Uh, one person who, who really understood this is one of kind of my heroes. His name was William Carey. I don't know if uh, some of you might have heard of him, um, but he was born in the 1700s in the middle of England. He was a, he was a nobody, he was a cobbler, he was poor, and uh, late in life, uh, in his 20s actually, uh, William Carey became a Christian. He became a Christ follower. And when God got a hold of his heart, it radically flipped his life upside down. And he taught himself Hebrew. And he started devouring theology books and reading scripture. And he became a pastor. And eventually, he served as a missionary for 41 years in India. He was an incredible man. And on May 31st, 1792, he preached one of the greatest sermons in the history of the church. And in this sermon, he had two things to say, and I'll close with this. I'll close with this challenge for you. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God this week because he is powerful, because he is almighty, and because he wants to do miracles in your life and in your family and in your ministry and at your job. Expect great things from God, but also attempt great things for God. 
Take risks. Don't, don't, don't be held back by safety and security, but be driven by adventure. Be driven by the gospel. Be driven by the kingdom to follow your dreams and to expect the unexpected. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you invite us, that you encourage us to follow our dreams. We thank you, Father, that you have given us the power, that you have given us the Holy Spirit. And because of that, Father, there is an, uh, there's an opportunity for miracles to happen. There's an opportunity for miracles to happen in our life with you, in our devotion to you. There's an opportunity for miracles to happen in our marriages and in our ministries and in our jobs and in our problems and in all of the discouragement and, and mess and mire that we have had this past week, Father. And so this morning, I just pray that as we leave this place, that you would, you would rise up new expectations in our hearts, that you would give us new passions and that you would give us the courage to follow through with those things. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.